Welcome to the Splinters Podcast from the team on the bench. Community Radio's leading no-holds-barred Friday night sports show. Available online and replayed on Triple H 100.1 FM. Now, here's your host, the Raging Bull, Anthony Caruso. Good evening and welcome to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM. Streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube, Music, Spotify, TuneIn and all good podcast sites. And to the Bull Caruso, yes, you must be getting sick of me by now because it seems like I'm now heading up every episode here. I have seemed to have taken over from the wise man and one certain person who we'll mention very shortly. But we continue our winter season preview, and it is a far cry from where we were in 2021, where most of these competitions thought they were getting started only to be canned due to COVID. Well, we're back up, and we're in a much better shape than we are this year. This week, it's all about starting off the trilogy of previews for the New South Wales Rugby League. And of course, when I talk Rugby League, we can't go much further than doing this without the best analyst of a Rugby League from New South Wales, indeed, I think, from Australia. He is the Lord Mayor himself, Keith Topolsky. Good evening to you. Well, good evening, Bull, and good evening to everyone listening across the Triple H Global Network. I don't think that I hold a candle to the likes of Peter Sterling, but certainly some of the characters, shall we say, that get around on Fox Sports during the week, I think I might be able to do a little bit better than them. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's the fact that, you know, Brenton Speed consider himself even remotely an analyst is, frankly, an insult to analysts everywhere. I was thinking more about a former Balmain front rower who says that, oh, if this team plays well, they should win. Yeah, no kidding, Block. Oh. Not mentioning any names, of course. Oh, please, please. You're just, you're just saying that because he's also a Manly supporter. Well, by the by. Yeah, indeed. Look, there's, there's been a lot of change when it comes to New South Wales Rugby League over the course of the off-season. One of them, which we're abs- two of them we're absolutely celebrating, and unfortunately it hasn't resulted in much changing yet. No, unfortunately there has been a changing of the guard in a way as far as some of the New South Wales Rugby League staff is concerned. Uh, one staffer in particular who goes by the moniker of Voldemort. Uh, you might have heard him commentating on a different sport that he's slightly more familiar with over the summer on a non-commercial network somewhere I, else. I believe but, he's a sport. I believe he's a test bowler, is he of some sort? Uh, former test bowler. Former test bowler. Um, okay. But unfortunately, that has not resulted in too much change at the New South Wales Rugby League when it comes to getting their act together as far as the Sydney Sheldon Ron Massey Cup competitions go. We do have some updates on the Canterbury Cup, but when it comes to the, the Sydney Sheldon Ron Massey competitions, we're still waiting for the most part for information to come out, including a draw, and we're a mere matter of weeks away from the competition starting. And we're going to have plenty to talk about that in terms of which teams we can actually talk about in terms of their lineups and in terms of information that's available. But we will be having a quick chat about the state of New South Wales Rugby League and, of course, the, the actions from our Lord and Saviour, who has managed to keep Rugby League afloat once again. Yes, uh, the venerable St Peter of Rugby League, St Peter of Wollongong. That's right, sorry, sorry, that, that is Rugby League. Rugby League, sorry, yes. Patron saint of Mount Uzo, as we've discussed before. Uh, Mount Uzley, sorry. But we do thank our Lord and Saviour for being able to get something together because what we have had to deal with as far as getting the Shield and Massey competitions up and running has been just nothing short of farcical. And I can tell you that there are competitions 
several rungs below as far as the other oval ball code, and I'm not referring to rugby union uh, in this instance. I've had a look at that here where I am in South Australia these days. These competitions aren't even close to their reserve grade competitions, and they've already got everything sorted out for the season, and we know exactly what's happening, which I, I think as a rugby league fan really does hurt when I think about how well organised they are, and they're not even at the level of the Sydney Shield. This is the equivalent of A grade. You can tell how fired up we are about this episode here. There's going to be plenty to discuss. There's going to be plenty of shots fired everywhere for this. So let's get started. It is all time to talk all things rugby league. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Splinters. <laughs> We know from what's been going on with New South Wales Rugby League that the summer has not exactly been kind. We know that the CEO, Dave Trotten, has gone in and done almost a complete clean-out of elements of the back office. You mentioned at the top of the show of the departure of one former test fast bowler who shall not be named. And then the announcement from our Lord and Saviour that there is a return of something that resembles reserve grade for rugby league. Yeah, that's true. And this is where it's going to have a little bit of an impact on the Canterbury Cup. So as far as Canterbury Cup goes, I can sort of understand where they're coming from as far as the difficulty in putting the draw together goes because they have to try and work in with the NRL and see what they've got on game days. But now that we have the NRL having released the draw, we know what the draw is for the NRL. So we should have an idea of what the Canterbury Cup draw is. And by having that Canterbury Cup draw, we could go forward and put together a Ron Massey Cup draw, and that will allow us to put together a Sydney Shield draw as well. So everything should be able to fall into place. It shouldn't be that difficult to figure out exactly who's doing what, who's going where, who needs what, who's playing where, and being able to figure it out from there. Because Peter Volandis, yes, he has said that the concept of three games on the one day will not apply to Thursday and Friday nights because we're not going to pull players away from their day jobs to go and play games in Wollongong or in Newcastle if they're based in Wollongong, excuse me, or vice versa. So I, I can understand where he's coming from there. That's fair enough with the Canterbury Cup draw, but we should be able to have something by now, considering the NRL put out the draw before Christmas. Yeah, absolutely. And when you consider the alignment of some of these clubs from Sydney Shield almost all the way up to NRL these days, if you've got a big day, say, at these at some of the major grounds on a Saturday or a Sunday, especially if you've got these evening and night matches occurring, you could have, theoretically, as many as five games off the one day, and what a day of rugby league you'd have at that ground. You're not going to find that at some of the, uh, shall we say, more upper-class venues is probably the best way to describe it. I'm not talking about socioeconomic here. I'm talking about ANZ Stadium, the Sydney Cricket Ground, Bankwest Stadium, the, the real high-end grounds as opposed to the likes of Rookvale, Leichhardt, Campbelltown, uh, to a lesser extent, Cogra. So the suburban grounds won't be so much of a challenge, but those elites, you'd almost consider them official New South Wales government venues as opposed to suburban venues. That's going to be the real challenge to be able to get three games on the one day there because most of these venues, oh, we need to make sure that the turf is in good order so we can't have more than one game. And, well, if you want to push it to two, we'll allow for that, but absolutely no more than two, which then begs the question, how are you going to get three games on the one day? But certainly if you were to go, as an example, 
to Belmore. If Canterbury has a game, well, if they're playing at Saturday, on a Saturday night at 7.30 against whoever, then you can have first grade at 7.30. You can have Canterbury Cup at 5.15. You can have Jersey Fleet kicking off at 10 past three. You can have a Ron Massey game involving Mounties, which is their new feeder team, kicking off at, let me do the maths on this, probably somewhere around the one o'clock mark. And then you can have Sydney Shield kicking off at, one, at 11 a.m. That is a full day worth of rugby league. That is an incredible amount of rugby league. I don't know how the ground would stand up to it, but that is what you could have if you were able to get your ducks in a row at an early stage. But unfortunately, at this point, it looks as though that that seems to be a bridge too far. And when you consider as well for some of the NRL clubs who are going to be occupying these locations with the can with the canteen takings, with the gate takings you're potentially going to have throughout the course of the day, the experience of having a full day out of rugby league during the course of the day, you know, think of the families that are going to be attending this one. They'll be able to get, you know, five games worth for the one ticket. All of a sudden, you're putting value back into the price of the NRL tickets. You're absolutely right with that. I mean... I know that there was there was a word going around, and you might be able to confirm this or not, that Manly for one of their games uh, early this year, if they're going to, if you're going to sit in the grandstand, a reserved adult seat in the highest level of seating, it was going to be fifty bucks. That that is highway robbery. It's bad enough that you're charging thirty dollars an adult to get into the general admission, but fifty dollars is obscene when a monthly KO subscription, which I've got, costs half that, and you can watch a game of New South Wales Cup, maybe two every weekend, depending on what Fox Sports decides, and you can watch every NRL game live for the the cost of a half ticket to get into the best seating at Brookvale Oval. You forgot one other element that goes with that as well, and it's called On Demand. Mm -hmm. If you miss the game... Guess what? You can go back and watch a full replay of it as if you as if you're watching it live. You can watch it on delay. Oh, you can absolutely. So, you know, this is this is where elements, not so much the NRL now, because I think our Lord and Savior is starting to crack down on on stuff like this. But it's New South Wales Rugby League that really needs to get its act together in terms of trying to dictate how the finer details of the operation of this competition goes. It's not even about the finer details because if you do have an NRL game, then you are going to have a situation whereby you're going to have to work around that. So once again, I'm not critical of New South Wales for waiting for an NRL draw to come out. However, once you have an NRL draw, you should then be able to turn around to the clubs and say, okay, we've got the NRL draw and it's going to take us the best part of two weeks put together the Canterbury Cup draw to make sure all the games align, say, okay, this is it, we're done, these are the games that are lining up, these are the ones that aren't, and now you're going to be able to work it out. So if West Tigers have a Friday night game, for example, okay, it's going to be one game at Bank West, at Campbelltown, at Leichhardt, whichever, and then Western Suburbs will have their weekend games to sort out for themselves. But if West Tigers get a Saturday night game or a Sunday afternoon game, or just any Saturday game really, then all of a sudden, well, it's a lot more simple than simply trying to figure out, okay, well, where are we going to play these games? It's, okay, all these games are on us and we're not having to worry about the NRL whatsoever now, so we can get our stuff together and deal with it on a separate basis. This is what the New South Wales Rugby League really has to figure out, but they're not doing it at the moment because they're too concerned about State of Origin, which 
I'm sorry. Anyone who has listened to some of the stuff I've had to say about Origin knows that no one hates Queensland more than me when it comes to Origin. But to be thinking about State of Origin three months, literally three and a half months out from the first game and thinking that people are going to step up and be so keen to get into it. No, that's not how State of Origin works. That's why State of Origin works so well because you only deal with it for six to eight weeks of a year. And New South Wales has to get out of this mindset that everybody wants state of origin all the time. Because, well, you can understand why they're doing that. It's because that's the way that they make their money, through the commercial arrangements with state of origin. There's nothing else that's coming out of the competition. Otherwise, all they're doing is, is running a development league, and they don't care about the developments. We've seen it before. Yeah, they might not care about it, but the people at the clubs do. People who are real football supporters. I'm not talking about people who see that there's an NRL game on and treat it as a big event, as a place to be seen at, and they want to shake hands and be photographed with people of high profile and think that this is the way to develop your networks like the old boys rugby union operated. This this is real rugby league fans we're talking about. People who you can go up to them, mention the name of the kid that sat on the bench last week for Jersey Flag, and they'll know exactly who you're talking about because they've seen them play, they want to see them play. They'll go out to these grounds that are in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of July, basically freezing themselves half to death because they want to see those players playing for their club. And I don't think the New South Wales Rugby League, and this is where I can't believe that I think the NRL understands the game better than the New South Wales Rugby League, because it's New South Wales that's supposed to be in touch with the grassroots. I don't think New South Wales gets just how many people are so keen to see their next generation of club stars going through the ranks. Well, let's use a classic example of this, because of course, back in the days, we used to be calling the the games out somewhere like, you know, somewhere remote, like say someone... St. Mary's plays Asquith out at St. Mary's Stadium. And there was a kid coming through the ranks that we were watching at the time. We were thinking, yeah, this guy's pretty good. He might be NRL material. Lo and behold, his name's Mike Acevo, and he's now ended up at the Parramatta Eels. Where do you think these plays are coming from? That's exactly right. And this is where the New South Wales Rugby League has to understand that this is where players will develop because not everybody is going to come out of junior reps, spend half a month, half a year in Jersey flag and be ready to step up to first grade as a 19-year-old. That's just not the way things work, especially in the forwards. Time was you had to be 23 or 24 years of age to really be ready to step up because it was such a brutal spectacle. That's not how the game operates these days, granted, because some forwards do graduate early. But the concept that you've washed up by the age of 21 if you haven't made first grade is just an absolute, it's an absolute fraud of an idea. And this is where respect, proper respect, and due consideration has to be given to those competitions where, okay, those guys might not be ready for first grade yet, but they're not far away. Let's talk about the debacle that has been over the last couple of years, the Ron Massey Cup and the, and the Sydney Shield, because of course, once upon a time, when the announcement from the NRL came out that Holden Cup was no more, it was going to go back to a Jersey flag under-20s competition, it was going to be state-based run, the initial idea from New South Wales Rugby League was that they were going to cut a competition and was, it was going to be a Sydney Shield. Fast forward three years later, we've still got all three competitions going. And the important thing to consider is that Sydney Shield is drawing more interest from the clubs themselves wanting to be in it than what the Ron Massey Cup is because it's not as high a competition as the Massey and that's you can tell that because there are clubs with teams in both and they consider the Ron Massey Cup to be the senior competition. So that's where you've got to give, give due consideration that the clubs 
they want to be involved in the Sydney Shield competition. As far as commenting on the situation last year, they get a free pass. Everybody gets a free pass on last year, simply sure. because of the way things unfolded during the year, and it was a miracle we were even able to get any football play last year whatsoever. So anybody that wants to go after them for what happened last year, no, even I'll stand up for them and say they get to get out of jail free card because nobody knew what the hell was going on at any point during last year, and it was a miracle we were able to do anything. But the way they have gone about trying to get rid of the Sydney Shield competition when it draws more interest as far as the number of clubs wanting to be in it than the Ron Massey Cup competition, I think has just demonstrated that they need a fresh set of eyes, they need some fresh thinking, and at the moment, they're not getting it because they're still obsessed about this origin bandwagon that, I'm sorry, nobody else is interested in February because we just want the club competition to start. So where do they go? Do they need to have three clubs, three, where do they go with this? Do they need to have three competitions running, or do they go down to two? And if they go down to two, what goes? You have to have the three competitions because there's not enough interest in the Ron Massey Cup competition from those Sydney Shield clubs, but at the same time, you've got those New South Wales Cup clubs that are crying out for an affiliation agreement because they know they're only going to get so many players back from first grade and they're going to have to send some players down to be able to keep things ticking over. So you need all three grades. The key here is for... New South Wales, the powers that be to recognise that this is how it works, that there are people who these days don't follow the NRL because rugby league at the top level has changed. You can tell that by the number of people that go to a Newtown game, that will go to a standalone Newtown game, who, okay, if there's a Ron Massey Cup game there or a Shield game, they'll watch that as well, but they won't go to a Newtown game if it's played as a curtain raiser to the Sharks or the Roosters, as it was for a little while there, um, for Newtown with their affiliation previous to their affiliation with Cronulla. There are people that won't go to the NRL who will go to lower-grade games because... It's, the, it's not the NRL, it's rugby league, and too often these days, the NRL is not traditional rugby league. Let's talk about the, the basic structure that we think is going to happen this year for the Sydney Shield, because mm-hmm. there, this has often been the competition that sees the most chopping and changing in terms of which teams are going to be coming in. Once upon a time, we're talking two years ago, there were 12 teams, 12 teams in the competition. At this stage, we think it's going to be 10. We'll go through the squads, what we think will be the squads in the second half of the show. But for now, the team list at the moment, there is going to be potentially a lot of change from what the lineups were ten years, uh, two years ago. There will be, and that's always the way that these lower-grade competitions will operate because there's a lot of players who will move around for work and, okay, if they're married with kids, then maybe the wife gets a job offer and they're going to have to go elsewhere or maybe they get an offer for a contract to step up and they want to see if they can push themselves to that next level. I know as a very good example of that, uh, Jerry Key, who has been a former Western Suburbs Magpie, former Asquith Magpie, he got an offer to go up on a trial and tr- on a train and trial contract with the Gold Coast Titans. It didn't work out for him, so he ended up playing a little bit of Queensland Cup and then coming back to Sydney on the back of that as well. So you're not going to have the consistency of first-grade clubs each and every year, which, okay, that's just the way these competitions operate. And sometimes you will have clubs in and out because of circumstances beyond their control. As I say, last year, the perfect example for that, everybody gets a get-out-of-jail-free card. But you have a situation where there are some clubs you know will be there, rain, hail or shine. They're going to be there and that's it. 
Wentworthville is a very good example. St. Mary's is a very good example. Mounties will always be there. And the only reason that Mounties and, um, went, and, um, St. Mary's, sorry, weren't there last year was because it was just such a different year. But any normal year, they're going to be in those lower grade competitions. They're going to try and be in New South Wales Cup. And if they're not in New South Wales Cup, you can bet London to a brick they're going to be in Massey and Shield and they're going to be very high up aiming to win those. So there has to be some respect given to those clubs because these aren't clubs that have just come along in the last 10, 15, 20 years. Wentworthville was established in 1913 and very nearly came into what was then the New South Wales Rugby League first grade competition, but they got edged out because they were too close to Parramatta and so they let the next team off the rank off the shelf come in that was ranked third in that year's competition and that was Cronulla. So it was Penrith going in and then it was supposed to be Wentworthville. Parramatta didn't like that because they were too close and yeah, fair enough, that's that's pretty close on the boundaries. And then Cronulla came in off the back of that, very fortunate. You've got to make sure that these clubs who have been around for a long time are treated with some respect and a little bit of respect goes to the fans as well because not everybody wants to go and watch the Parramatta Eels take on the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Some people are more than happy wandering down to Crestwood Reserve and watching Hills District go around or watching Belrose play down at Lionel Watts or Asquith at Story Park or Guildford at McCready. And some respect has to be given to the fans of those clubs. Now, this is a, you mentioned two clubs in particular that we know will not be in the competition this year from the last time this was right in full back in 2020. And that is, first off, the Guildford Owls, and the Asquith Magpies. Yes, so uh, Guildford we have not heard from. Asquith made very clear last year that they wouldn't be participating in 2020 or in 2021 because of the uncertainty, and they were aiming for a 2022 return to Sydney Shield and then hopefully to Ron Massey in 2023. Guildford, I don't think they've made any statements to that effect, but there has been no movement from them for trial games or for anything like that, so I think it's fair to say that uh, Guildford won't be around for the 2021 season. We thought that might be the case with Belrose, but we've seen them turn up on some trial lists. So, and there's been rumours going around that Belrose might be in, might be out. But the, the tragic thing is, we can't confirm any of this because nobody has put out any official statements. So, all we know at this stage is that Asquith definitely won't be there, and you can almost bet one into a brick that Guildford won't be there either. We'll see the usual candidates popping up in this competition: the Cabramatta, two Blues. Uh, East Campbelltown Eagles, despite all the pressure that's been on them to move themselves up to run Massey Cup, they're staying in the Sydney Shield. The Hills District Bulls will be back once again. The Moorbank Rams, who now, I believe, have a relationship going with Mounties. Yeah, Moorbank have a relationship with Mounties for a while, and that's going to stick. So Moorbank will stay with Mounties. The interesting thing is going to be, because there is a Bankstown team that is due to come in. I've been seeing their name pop up on a few trial game lists of late as well. So it'll be interesting to see exactly what Canterbury decides to do with their Jersey flag players, whether they send them to Mounties and then Moorbank as a, uh, an almost default measure, or whether this Bankstown Bulls team is going to be able to get access to those Jersey flag players because by rights, technically they should go to Moorbank if Moorbank has the relationship with Canterbury at this point. But as we say, we've got no idea exactly what's going on, so we have to just wait and see. The next one there is Penrith Brothers, who, remember, a few years ago entered a Ron Massey Cup and a Sydney Shield side. While their Ron Massey Cup was somewhat competitive, their Sydney Shield was 
considered an absolute joke. They've gone back to a Sydney Shield, and unfortunately, they still haven't shaken that tag off. Yeah, they were, they were disappointing in what we were able to see of them uh, in the abbreviated season. Um, Penrith, we'll talk more about the whole structure in the second half, but certainly the Penrith brothers are a club that they, they've got a lot of potential, but they just haven't been able to tap into it, and we'll discuss that more in the second half of the show. We mentioned St Mary's and Wentworthville. They'll be there once again. Uh, the Windsor Wolves were the surprise to come into the competition last year, and all of a sudden, at the foot of the um, at the foot of the mountains, at the north side, Windsor's starting to build again. Yeah, I, I don't know whether you'd refer to them as the foot of the mountains so much as the the top of the Hawkesbury Valley. Um, but Windsor, it, it was strange seeing them go by the wayside because they had a leagues club that was interested in bankrolling them. They seemed to have players. They seemed to have coaches and sponsors. And then something just blew up. We don't know exactly what. We know that there may have been some difficulties with some coaches and sponsors coaches who were also going to double as sponsors and they weren't too impressed with what they were seeing but now Windsor is looking like they're going to be back in fact that's all but certain and I think Windsor is a team that really does have to be in that second tier of competitions because a team at a team from Windsor just, it makes too much sense. Now, two more teams that we should mention as well. One of them has actually been quite competitive and, again, is going to be given the, the scrutiny that East Camelton are receiving at the moment is Wright Eastwood, who, in the couple of years that they've returned to Sydney Shield, have been very competitive. I think they were runners up and then premiers, as a matter of fact, right eastward. They've always been a, a really strong club in that second-tier competition. They disappeared for a little while because of an affiliation with Balmain, bankrolling their junior reps, bankrolling the old Balmain right eastward in the New South Wales Cup before West Tigers side came in um, and put together a single joint venture team rather than just having that Balmain fee arrangement with the West Tigers. So right eastward, it's not a surprise. They wanted to come into Ron Massey. They are now in Ron Massing. We'll see exactly how they perform, but certainly it'll be interesting to see how their Shield team goes now that they have to provide a Massey side. There's one other team at the moment that we're still waiting to hear if they are going to be back in the competition. We've heard nothing about it yet, but it is Sydney University. Now, they position themselves as a feeder team for Glee Burwood, and we have heard nothing of them since the end of what should have been the 2021 season. Yeah, and this is disappointing because I believe that uh, Sydney University are going by the wayside, similar to Cronulla Carring Bar, but at the same time, I'm hearing rumours that Glebe might have an arrangement with a Cronulla Carring Bar side in Sydney Shield, which hasn't actually turned up yet. So, again, we come back to this, is it happening, is it not, who's got the information, who knows, but at the moment, it looks as though Sydney University won't be there because they don't have that feeder agreement with Glee Burwood in the Massey who seem to have jumped across to Cronulla Carring Bar who aren't turning up anywhere but some people are saying they're going to be there so we just have to wait again unfortunately I hate saying it but we have to wait and see well with that we're going to take a break and when we come back we'll be going through the squads in detail you are listening to Splinters the Bench Podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify TuneIn and all good podcast sites. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Splinters, the Bench Podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM and streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au 
Not only that, we are available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn, and all good podcast sites. Anthony the Bull Caruso with the Lord Mayor, Keith Sapolsky. We've just gone through looking at some of the stuff for New South Wales Rugby League before we go into the Sydney Shield. But, Keith, we've done a little bit further digging during the break, and I believe you and I have discovered something. Yes, it's interesting that we were talking about the New South Wales Rugby League not being able to get their act together and get the draws out for their lower-grade competitions. And, of course, what's the biggest competitor to New South Wales at any time when it comes to rugby league? Well, it's the state of Queensland. So we trotted along to the QRL website and thought, okay, let's see if they've got their Q Cup, their Intrust Super Cup draw out. Not only do they have that, but they've got their BHP Premiership, which is the Ron Massey. They've got their Hastings Deering Colts, which is the Jersey Flag. They've even got their under-19s happening. Everything is there for the Queensland Rugby League. They've already got it all sorted out. And it's just become... I'm sorry, but it's become farcical that the Queensland Rugby League can do this so much better than the New South Wales Rugby League. It's just turned into it's turned into a bit of an embarrassment, really. It absolutely has become an embarrassment. Well, without further ado, let's go into the, the squads themselves, the ones we do know of that are going to be competing in this competition next year. Now, And before we go any further, I do want to point out to anybody listening that this is our best guess. We can't confirm anything at this point. There's a lot of guessing going on in here, and unfortunately, that's the best we've been able to do at this point. Now, let's yeah, absolutely. Let's get started with it, because the first team we've got off the rank is one that we haven't actually mentioned yet. They did come back for one game only last year after taking a sabbatical in 2020, in 2019. They, are, they were back last year. They're going to be back. There's conjecture about whether they'll be back again. The Blacktown Workers Sea Eagles. Now, the best thing I can find, or the best information I can find, sorry, is that Blacktown will probably not have a team going around in the Sydney Shield competition because they were one of these teams that got held up by the problems in Sydney Shield. They dropped out of Sydney Shield on the basis that, well, the competition's not going ahead. Why do we bother having a team ready to go in that competition? And they decided just to let it go, we'll just run our own race, we'll go somewhere else and we'll feed teams back into the local Penrith and feed um, players back into the local Penrith competition. Now it's a question of, okay, well, if there's no Sydney Shield side for Blacktown, will they then feed players back to the Penrith competition? I think it was a deal with Minchinbury, it might have been. It was, it was or, a Minchinbury, yes. Or are they going to try and strike up a feeder agreement with a team in the Sydney Shield? The best I can do at the moment is to determine that they don't have a Sydney Shield team. They will have a Massey team. They've definitely got a New South Wales Cup side. I've seen their squad. It looks pretty good. But nothing in Sydney Shield, as far as feeder arrangements go, watch this space because it, it, it's an evolving situation. And when you go through the plays that they were supposed to line up last year, it really was a, sorry, patchwork team. A lot of the players there not really known going through the Blacktown Workers lineup, with the exception of probably Sean Fitzgerald and Kyle Castle. Yeah, what, what they had access to last year, uh, Blake Clayton, he's moved on since then, um, but he was a real gun player for them. Uh, he came through the Western Suburbs junior system lightning fast, real fast player. Very slightly built, made him susceptible to injuries, but again, we're not exactly certain what they're going to be able to turn out as far as the lower grades. Looking at 
who is confirmed. I wouldn't be at all surprised if Blacktown workers end up with a deal with Penrith Brothers because it seems that Penrith Brothers are the ones who are who are calling out for some sort of affiliation agreement at this point in time. So that's probably the best that we can come up with at this point, unfortunately. It, it could be worse. It could be an affiliation with the Beacon Hill Bears, not that we're making any assertions in this episode, are we, Keith? You might well think that. I couldn't possibly comment. No, no, we can neither confirm nor deny that rumour. No, we'll we'll pass on that one. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Let's go to a team that's actually been that really surprised everyone over the last couple of years has been very competitive in Sydney Shield lately. It is the Cabramatta Two Blues. Yes, Cabramatta was in a position where they may stay, they may not stay. They dropped out last year. Chris Yates moved on. They decided to change the coaching structure, the coaching staff. Who exactly is going to turn up for Cabramatta this year is the big question because they didn't really have a core. They they shifted cores as the seasons came and went. So they had a core. They had a spine, which would then move en masse out of the club, and then they would bring a brand-new spine in that, okay, they've been playing at another club together for a while, but they keep chopping and changing who their core was, which is very unusual. Normally you see chopping and changing around the edges, but that core always stays, whereas you normally saw the bit players hang around, but it was the core that changed year on year. Cabramatta, in Sydney Shield, they can be strong, they can be weak. It's a really mixed bag. And it will be really interesting to see exactly who's Cabr- who Cabramatta has appointed because I think that will determine, as far as their coaching staff, I should say, that will determine how they perform this year because if they're bringing Chris Yates back into the equation who went to Wentworthville last we saw, then anything could happen. But if they're going to try and build internally and try and keep a long-term core there, then this could see Cabramatta return to some of those glory years. And they're certainly one of the strongest clubs in the Parramatta Junior District. And they're well-renowned for putting together just first division teams once you get into the international laws side of the game and then allowing some of the other clubs to take the um, leftovers, if you like, and put together their second and third division sides. So Cabramatta, they could be lining up for something this year. It depends on who they've got on coaching staff, I think, more than anything else. Of course, Cabramatta, the club that did bring us Jared Hayne, Trent Hodkinson, and I believe Israel Folau at one stage. Uh, I don't think Israel Folau ever played for them. Uh, Jared Hayne, of course, uh, ventured off to Cabramatta courtesy of the East Campbelltown Eagles. So Jared Hayne is a Western Suburbs junior. Trent Hodkinson going by, I believe it was Campbelltown Collies. So Trent Hodkinson, another Western Suburbs junior, and Israel Folau playing for the Minto Cobras. So Three Western Suburbs juniors have mentioned there. Bull, thank you very much. No, 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 absolute pleasure. So um, we'll wait and see what happens with Capital Matter. But we then go on to the next team, and this is a team very closely connected with yourself. Of course, the East Campbelltown Eagles playing out of that wonderful Waminda International Stadium. Yes, Waminda is a beautiful place to watch rugby league, unless, of course, you're watching from the sidelines and not behind that. Uh, I think it's the Northern Hill, um, in which case, well, the Northern Hill's a beautiful place to watch the game from. If you're not on the Northern Hill, then it can be a little bit of a bludger, but... Shannon Gallant is definitely retired. We've heard it before, but he's definitely retired because he's filling a role with Western Suburbs in their junior development program at the moment. Who exactly is going to take over? Well, it's really a change of the guard at the moment because the squad that they're working with, uh, Mason Talalua, Aaron Tiariki, Amanono Tovio, Jim Lalili, have been long-term 
um, mainstays, if you like, of the Western Suburbs Romassey Cup before they decided uh, to go back and play for East Campbelltown. And then on the other side of things is a very interesting situation. Kobe Chamberlain, Jake Leiluga Puatau, Baden Stewart. You've got a couple of other guys coming through the system there. Um, Alex Potifara. Guys who have come through recently the Western Suburbs Junior Development System and haven't quite kicked on enough to get a regular gig with West Tigers in the Jersey flag. So you've got that old Western Suburbs guard, that new Western Suburbs guard. It really is a Campbelltown team. Now, a lot of clubs, they'll get players in from right across Sydney, but this is a local football club. This isn't the franchise model, bringing them in from everywhere. This is a real southwest Sydney team. They're working together. They know the structures because they've come through the same coaching styles with Leo Epifania as the general manager at Western Suburbs, having the influence over the coaches there. So there's a real chance that with the changing of the guard, East Campbelltown could find that youth factor that they probably lacked and I think they're certainly one of the teams to watch, no doubt. One player you didn't mention out of that, but he's always been a crucial element of the team, is their fullback, Ben Baker. Yes, he went to Norellan and then decided to return to East Campbelltown. We don't know what uh, this season holds for him as yet. We've been trying to get our hands on that information, but there's been nothing come forward that has been solid on our end as yet. So, And if he does decide to return to East Campbelltown, then he's a rather enigmatic figure. So if he decides to put his hand up for another season with East Campbelltown, then I can certainly see them doing a huge amount of damage in the Sydney Shield competition. But it depends on if he wants to play Sydney Shield or if he's going to go and play Group 6 again. Next, well, the next club we were going to mention is a club that we're still waiting to see what happens to see if they're going to be competing. It is the Guildford Owls. Uh, of course, there was a period where one Shane Shackleton was uh, on the coaching staff, the player coaching staff for this, for this club. They've gone very quiet lately, and it remains to be seen that the other family that should be known for running this club is, of course, the Camro family. Yeah, the, the Camroos are very famous family with the Balmain Club, more of late with the Guildford Club as well. I'm almost certain from the sources that I've spoken to that Guildford won't be going around this year. They tried to get it done, but they just couldn't get the logistics organised in time. And I think the fact that Jared Farlow, who was almost being mentored by Paul Fletcher to take up a coaching role with the club, has decided to hop on board with uh, Ride Eastwood this season, I think says that Guildford won't be there. So I believe that Guildford will not be getting a start this season, but it just hurts knowing that I have to say that I don't actually know which clubs are going to be competing for sure and certain because nobody has said anything and we're relying on trial game lists. Well, let's go to one club that we're pretty certain is going to be there this year. They've got a proud history in both the Ron Massey Cup and the Sydney Shield. They've become a bit of a side favourite to everyone in the competition. It is the Hills District Bulls. Yeah, Hills will definitely go around in both competitions. I know that they've been trying to convince Harry Shaker to come back, but he's on a pretty good deal at the moment, playing football out in the bush and working in the mines at the moment and he's on a pretty good he's on pretty good coin being able to juggle that out in the bush at the moment so remains to be seen whether Harry Shaker comes back he'd be a very good addition to Hills District if he did but certainly Hills they don't mind 
going around and finding some ex-NRL players to try and bring that experience in. Whether it works, whether it doesn't, it really does depend year on year. I know the Folletti Matteo experiment was something that they probably rather forget uh, at Crestwood Oval, but certainly when they figure out exactly who they're going to be putting forward, they're not necessarily going to be a premiership favourite, but you can guarantee that nine times out of ten, whoever goes to Crestwood is going to leave with their ears ringing, and it's not going to be from the Sapphire Lounge that hits are going to be on the field rather than from the DJ. Oh, they, they, they get some absolute bell ringers on the field. And, of course, I still remember that uh, that Easter Thursday call you and I did many moons ago when it was Asquith versus Hills District. That was one of the feistiest games of rugby league I had seen in some time. Yeah, they didn't hold back, and that's exactly what you can expect from Hills District. And I can tell you, having grown up as Winston Hills Tiger, um, playing against Hills District, they didn't mind dishing it out in the juniors either, just quietly. Now, th- there is rumours of a, an ex-NRL player who has played for them for a couple of years, returning again. And do we dare drop a kid, though? He might be coming on as a guest in the next couple of weeks. Well, I'm going to leave that in your capable hands, but... Um, as far as getting um, ex-NRL players or current NRL players on the bench or splinters, I've certainly heard of Le Stranger Things. Indeed, indeed. And we, we certainly hope that it's not going to be a repeat of seeing 17 dummies thrown in one set of six uh, before sending over a certain uh, front row forward to score uh, under the black dot. They were good dummies, though. <laughs> they were brilliant dummies. They were left at, the opposition was left at sixes and sevens. In that, in fact, it wasn't that entire second half, let's be honest. Well, that, that's exactly right, yeah. But we will move on from that for the time being. Absolutely. Let's go to the next, gap, the next team. It is a team that we hadn't mentioned before, and a team that has been building in a very positive manner since their return to the Moorbank Rams. Yeah, the Moorbank Rams, they, they came about and they had a really ugly year their first year. And ever since then, they, it's just been a slow burn from them. And okay, they weren't what we thought they'd be last year, but as I say, everybody gets a hall pass on, everybody gets a get-out-of-jail pass on last year because it was just so difficult to try and get everything together. We saw that by the fact that Maitland was basically in the Ron Massey Cup under a different name last year. Having said that, you're quite Right, Moorbank have been able to get some good affiliation agreements going. They've got some very good players out of the Canterbury-Bankstown-Jersey flag set-up. They, they know how to spot a talent because one of the players that they relied on um, in the season before last was Christian Urso, and very, very small player, but very, very quick, and coming through the Western Suburbs set-up. And I spotted him as a player who I thought, if he could actually start growing would be a fairly useful player. He did start growing, but he didn't seem to put any weight on. So uh, Christian Urso, if he does go around for Moorbank again, could be a very, very useful player for them. But I dare say that Moorbank will be able to strike some sort of deal to get their hands on some excess Mounties New South Wales Cup players and a few Canterbury Jersey flag players. How many, given that it looks as though we've got a Bankstown side in the competition, does remain to be seen. There are two other players to mention from this Moorbank Rams line that have been have proven troublesome for other teams throughout the uh, the years. One of them is their fullback, Jake Horton, who is a very dynamic fullback in his own right. And the other one, I believe, a uh, younger brother of a current NRL player, it is 
Josiah Schaffhausen. Josiah Schaffhausen, uh, I think, is related to Charlton, who is not quite an NRL player yet, but he's certainly been giving it a little bit of a run. I understand he's going to be getting around for Wentworthville this year uh, in Massey or New South Wales Cup. He's certainly a big, strong player. Again, another guy who spent some time at Western Suburbs, so I'm very familiar with what he can do. And if he keeps his head on, he almost reminds me of Addison Dimitri, who's got so much talent, so much ability, but a lot of the time it comes down to discipline and keeping his head on straight and making sure that he doesn't get suckered in by the opposition. I can tell you, a guy like Charlton Schaffhausen, Shay Jarvis would have had an absolute field day with one of the old Asquith Magpies Brigade. He would have had a field day trying to bait him and just get him suckered into doing something silly. So if he takes after his brother with skill, then that's great. If he takes after his brother when it comes to mentality, then or just, just keep a delicate eye on him because it could be trouble. And uh, Jay Corton? Jake Horton is a game changer for them. What he decides to do this year could have a big bearing on uh, the finals hopes of Moorbank. But again, we don't know because no one said anything. Let's go to the next team. It is the Penrith Brothers. And uh, a lot for for these guys, as you mentioned at the top of this segment, will be based on what happens with Blacktown workers this year. It will, and I'm pretty, sh- I'm pretty confident they'll end up striking a deal with Blacktown because it seems that Blacktown doesn't have a deal at the moment, neither does Penrith Brothers, and, well, just put two and two together. They really need to figure out what they're going to do, Penrith, because their squad, last we saw, had pretty much nobody of note in it uh, starting last year, but stranger things have happened. You just never know what's around the corner, so if they can go out and pick the eyes out of some of the other clubs, particularly the likes of Guildford and Asquith, who won't be getting around. There's a lot of talent there, and if they can recruit well, with a little bit of a hand from Blacktown workers, I can see them making a push for the eight. Let's go to the right Eastwood Hawks, and there is talent all over the park for this lineup. The likes of Shane Condon, Bradley Cousins, Suliasi Suli, and I believe they're going to have Mitch Gray going around again for them. Yeah, that's my understanding as well, and the same arrangement will remain in place as has been previously, whereby the excess Jersey flag players, if they're Western Suburbs juniors, then they will go to East Campbelltown, and if they're Balmain juniors or their imports, then they'll go and play for Riot Eastwood. I believe that will remain the same uh, for the Sydney Shield side of things. Ron Massey Cup, I don't know. Uh, that remains to be seen. But certainly you can't, you can't rule out Ride Eastwood under any stretch because whenever they put a team forward, doesn't matter whether it's Massey or Shield or even local A grade, they're always going to be one of those teams that you have to keep an eye on because they've just got so much talent. They are a dangerous prospect and you do have to keep an eye on them and Winning it last year, I don't, I don't see if they can get that core back again and maybe bulk up with a couple of guys that have maybe graduated from West Tigers' flag and maybe deciding not to go around again. Well, I don't see any reason why they can't make a push and, and back up for another premiership. The other thing to take into consideration is how dynamic this team is in attack. This is not like your standard Sydney Shield team where they might actually be able to hold a team, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but be able to hold a team to under 20 points in a particular game. These guys are excitement machines, and they were almost averaging 38 points a game back in 2019. 
if you want a comparison, look back at the 2005 West Tigers, because these days in the NRL, the attitude seems to be, well, I don't care whether I'm only going to be able to score 10 points, because you're only going to score 6, and that's how I'm going to beat you, as opposed to the West Tigers in 2005, where it was, well, I don't care if you're going to score 30 points, because I'm going to score 40, and that seems to be the ethos of the right Eastwood side, and that's what comes about from having so many Jersey Fleet players in the side as well, and that's the thing you've got to remember is that the standard of physicality is so different between Shield and Massey that if you get a player from Jersey Flag, you might see him in Sydney Shield and think this guy's a world beater, this guy's got first grader written all over him, and then he goes up to Ron Massey and he gets his backside handed to him on a plate because he's just not mature enough or big enough. So by by getting those excess flag players into their system, and that they were doing it a lot of the time with outside backs as well. They were getting a lot of outside backs in there. When you're getting outside backs from Jersey Flag into your system, that's when you're in a position to really step up and do some damage. Let's go to the perennial challenges for the competition, St. Mary's. They finished second back in 2019, one of the best defences in the competition, and it's hard to see how it's going to be any different for them this year. They usually put together a team that would hold its own in the Ron Massey competition, and that, that's what their Shield team is. And then they get a New South Wales Cup side, and they end up putting that in the Ron Massey competition. St Mary's have always recruited well. They're going to recruit well again. I think that they're looking around and trying to sniff around to convince Tim Grant to play for them. I know Tim Grant was looking at playing for Thrill, and he did last year, but Tim Grant might be returning to, to where it all started for him out there at the foot of the mountains and if he does then you've got to think that they're going to be one of the more dominant forces with that forward pack experience in first grade but certainly they've, they've always got talent all over the park although I did know that Alan Fitzgibbon won't be playing for them this year because he's ended up signing with West Tigers and Western Suburbs. Let's go to the next team City University who normally in their um, relationship would be feeding into Glee Burwood it is we yet to see what's going to be happening with them. They started the season with much promise, failed to deliver, but there were two players who I thought really shone for them back in 2019. One of them was their centre, Anthony Overton, and the other one was their hooker, Rocco Batterio. Yeah, little bit of uh, ethnic language there, Bull. Not that you're biased in any way, shape or form on that, but I can almost guarantee that Sydney University are gone, but... Does this squad stay together and then decide to go elsewhere? Do they end up playing for Cronulla Carring Bar? Do they end up going en masse to another club? Have they signed en masse for Windsor? We don't know any of those player movements. But those players that Sydney University had, if that squad decides to stick together, then I think they could make a push for the eight, depending on where they've gone. But it depends on if they've stuck together. Anthony Overton should have an offer from one of the more senior clubs in this competition, the likes of St Mary's or Wentworthville or maybe a Mountie. He's affiliated more bank, and they should be able to get their hands on him, though. Let's go to the perennial heavyweights, the Wentworthville Magpies, and they just know how to find talent uh, wherever they go, especially considering their place within the Parramatta system. Well, that's the question. Are they still within the Parramatta system? Because at the moment, Parramatta seem to have been feeding a few Jersey Fleet players back to the Windsor Wolves. Now, it's a question of whether Wentworthville still forms part of that Parramatta system. Why Parramatta would affiliate with Windsor, I don't know, because here is this behemoth of a club 
in your backyard, literally, in your backyard. If you get onto a good golf drive, you could almost hit Bankwest Stadium going down the Great Western Highway from Ringrose Park. Now, whether Wentworthville gets any of that talent back from Parramatta, it remains to be seen. And Wentworthville, they were just tragic in the President's Cup competition last year. Okay, yes, I said I'd give them a hall pass, but even so, for Wentworthville to struggle like they did was a real surprise. And they're going to really have to step up this year. But having said that, they've got a pre-season behind them. They're not going to come back cold. They're going to be able to play the season out in full, especially now that as we're recording this, the first vaccines are being rolled out for COVID. So you would think that we're not going to get a season stoppage in the lower grades because of that. So it'll be interesting to see exactly how Wentworthville can stack up. And if they can do what they're renowned for doing, then I don't think there's any doubt whatsoever that they're going to be fine. Of course, this is a club that discovered a perennial halfback that's gone around to has been around a couple of teams, but he's always been very handy wherever he goes. Cameron Cryer, of course, he's now playing Ron Massey Cup, but his position taken by Troy Errington, who pretty much ensured that back in 2019, Wendy managed to sneak their nose into the finals. Yeah, there's there's plenty of talent on offer at Wentworthville. They know how to scour the junior clubs in the Parramatta district quite well, particularly in their regional, in their geographic region, I should say. Cabramatta and Mounties are normally scratching the eyes out of the southwest. In the northwest, it's usually left to Wentworthville to pick up what they like. Occasionally, Hills District will beat them to the punch for a handful of players, but normally if Wentworthville wants someone, they'll get them. Finally, we then go to the Hawkesbury Valley. It is the Windsor Wolves. Of course, when they were going around last time, before their return a couple of years ago, it was supposed to be under the tutelage of Brent Kite. Is there any word, truth to the rumour that he's back there? And if not, who will be there? Well, the last I heard was that Brent Kite was going back to Windsor. Uh, the people who didn't want Brent Kite at Windsor are no longer at the Wolves, which allows them to put Brent Kite in as they wanted to originally. So my understanding is that Brent Kite will be coaching the team this season. Whether that's the Ron Massey team or the Sydney Shield team remains to be seen. Wouldn't surprise me if they start him out in Shield and give him a little bit of time to develop as a coach, but certainly that's what I'm hearing as well. What can Windsor do? How long's a piece of string? We don't know who they've recruited. They weren't in the President's Cup system last year. They are starting afresh, but again, Asquith and Guildford aren't there, so there's plenty of talent to go around, and if they can sign those teams en masse, particularly if you're looking at someone like a Pat Wisner, who, okay, he's not going to be able to take everybody with him. Last we heard he was off to North Sydney to do a job there. And if he can't take everybody with him to North, then a few of them might decide en masse to head out to Windsor because I can tell you the drive from Asquith to Windsor is a hell of a lot easier than the drive from Asquith to Mount Pritchard or Asquith to Cabramatta just quietly. Let's, one other team we haven't mentioned yet, we have sort of, well, we sort of mentioned them in passing, but not in terms of their squad overall, is the Belrose Eagles. One of the big unknowns in the competition, it was scattered around in terms of what they were going to do if they were going to be playing the local A grade or whether they were going to be playing um, in any of the other teams. They do have some talent there in their lineup, especially in their back line with the likes of Jake Pickering and Richie Goodwin. I'm more interested to see whether they can get Jamie Bureau back because if they can, then I think they shoot straight to the top. You would assume that they'll be able to hang on to Jake Pickering, and if they hang on to Jake Pickering, they're going to hand on to, hang on to Richie Goodwin. So straight away you can basically pencil that in. 
if Sergeant Major, if Eric Galloway's been able to get everything sorted on the northern beaches and get Belrose ready to get back into the shield again this season, then I think you'll see them, like they did last year, really take a step forward based on that travesty of a season they had in 2019. And Belrose could be good value because if they got their act together and decided early that they were going to be back in the Sydney Shield, and that would have given them a bit of a jump start on the other teams that were still trying to recruit. And we will have to keep keep our head open to see if um, if Jamie Bureau does sign, because if he does sign with them, there's a guy that can definitely carry them to finals. Oh, there, there's no doubt that if Jamie Bureau signs, to my mind, then Belrose should be able to make the finals. You would assume that they'll probably go with the top eight system again, now that we're going back to a degree of normality this year. Um, I, I would assume that if Jamie Bure is there, then they'll probably finish bottom half of the eight. But if they do some really good work on the recruitment side, then top four wouldn't be beyond them. So, with uh, a matter of minutes left in this podcast, what's your tip? For, what's your very early tip for a grand final? Basically, spinning the wheel and throwing the darts and see where they land. The grand final will be played at Leichhardt and not Bank West. That's the best tip that I can give because we have no idea who's going to be playing for who this year. We're still trying to figure out which teams are in the competition for the most part. If you're looking for a sure bet, then I think you take St Mary's to make the four. Take St Mary's to make the four. It's the only thing we can offer at this point. I, because I still can't trying give anything better than that. Because we're still trying to figure out if New South Wales Rugby League is actually still alive. Uh, maybe if our Lord and Saviour wants to um, give a couple of us a, a bit of a, uh, a carte blanche to go and clean it up, I'm sure there's a certain person who's been uh, working out in Port Lincoln who would gladly take that position. I'll, I'll see how it goes and I'll see what the pay's like. Mind you, if they do pay, then chances are I'll probably take the gig based on what I'm on at the moment. Right, uh, and I'm sure you wouldn't mind working for our Lord and Saviour. Oh, I think I can manage that, yeah. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is full-time here on Splinters. What a pleasure it is to have the Lord Mayor back with us, Keith Topolsky. It's always a pleasure to have you back on, and we hope to hear you soon for the other Rugby League previews, maybe with a couple of guests as well. It is a pleasure talking Rugby League for once, Ball, and if you are on holiday on the Air Peninsula, you can always listen to the best songs of all time on 765 C. There we are, the first preview of our Rugby League trilogy, and that is a full-time here on Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au, and available for download at podcast.com. Apple Store, YouTube, Music, Spotify, TuneIn, and all good podcast sites. On behalf of the Lord Mayor, Keith Topolsky, I'm Anthony the Bull Caruso. Run hard or run home. Good night. Yeah.